By now you'll have heard or seen that I'm working with a new golf app called Tangent, who are also sponsoring this show. It's the smartest AI caddy in golf and is able to recommend not only clubs to hit, but target locations based on the math behind strokes gained and your own personal shot patterns. Unlike many other shot trackers, it also takes into account and adjusts for hazards that are out there. It has sensorless tracking with an amazing automatic swing detection that you can use with your Apple Watch or your phone without any need to buy any attachments for your clubs. And my favorite part, the post-round analysis data helps you immediately see where you can improve and gives you simple breakdowns that you can dive into if you want much more detail about your stats. It then links this data to recommendations and actual practice drills that you can use to improve. Getting measurable data for both on-course and practice drills makes Tangent one of the best game improvement ecosystems that I've ever seen. So download Tangent for free on the Apple App Store or at tangent.golf and use promo code SWEET30, that's S-W-E-E-T-3-0, for 30% off. So you'll get a free trial, and if you like it and want to continue, it'll give you 30% off a subscription. So just try it out, play a few rounds with it, and I know you'll love it. So that's Tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T, and enter code SWEET30. Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf, and as always, I'm joined by... Adam from Adam Young Golf. This episode of The Sweet Spot is brought to you by our friends at the Indoor Golf Shop. They're the place to go online for setting up a simulator in your home or your business. They've got all the major brands of launch monitors like Foresight, SkyTrack, Unicor, and FlightScope. And they make enclosures, screens, hitting mats, pretty much anything you're going to need for your indoor studio. If you need help, you can give them a call directly, talk to their experts. You can ask for Gerald or Hunter. I know they've helped plenty of other Sweet Spot listeners and they can help you decide what's going to fit in your garage, media room, and basement based on your budget and technology requirements. So thanks for their support, and you can check them out at shopindoorgolf.com. So today we're going to be talking about getting ready for your round of golf. I guess you could call it warming up, whatever you'd like to call it. What do you call it? Yeah, warm, warming up. Yeah, that's fine. Warming up. Yeah, so this is a question I've gotten through the years, what does a good pre-round range session look like? I've been wanting to do this episode and then this past weekend, it was the Masters when we recorded this episode and, and Tiger had a really great quote on warm-ups that I thought was really helpful and we'll, we'll share that in a bit. But yeah, what's your overall philosophy on getting ready to play? What are you looking to do? Well, there's the physical part, which we're not going to go through in this. We'll do a separate yes. episode for that. But I will say lots of people said that they only have kind of five, 10 minutes. They're running from the car to the range. So if they can in the office, they can do the physical warm up if possible. Obviously, you don't want to get fired or anything by avoiding work. <laughs> but, you know, some people have opportunity to do some stretches and things in the office. So that's one way around it. But yeah, I, I think I would like to separate the idea of training for golf versus warming up. They're very different. You know, training is you're basically trying to change a movement pattern or ingrain something new. And you don't want to be doing that before you walk out on a round of golf. Whereas warming up is more, you know, warming up the body, loosening up the body and identifying patterns is the key thing for me. That's the main point or the two main points for a warm up. Getting the body 
loose so you're not less likely to injure yourself and uh, identifying what patterns you have. What about yourself, John? Do you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, as I get older, my number one priority is to get the body ready. You know, the few times where I've gone out too quickly, especially in the cold and the days where I maybe pulled something, a muscle here or there, the days where I really didn't do a warm up. And I think, you know, you and I would like to do a separate episode on that, perhaps with Mike Carroll from Fit for Golf. But yeah, if you're on super limited time, like doing a dynamic golf warm up, which is not static stretching, like getting your body warm. I usually don't like to send people to YouTube for golf stuff, but you can search dynamic golf warm up on YouTube. I did earlier. There's some stuff from TPI and various, you know, trainers who are pretty good and definitely doing a little bit of a five minute routine just to get your body warm is like priority number one. And in terms of the physical component of hitting the balls, I agree with you. This is not a time, you know, before you're about to play golf, you're not searching for something new. This isn't the time to try and work on something new in your game. It's, we'll get into the feedback and seeing what you've got, but For me, one of the main points I want to get across to people, if you do have the opportunity to hit balls, I don't want it to become like a self-fulfilling prophecy in either direction. And I'll I'll tell a a funny story in a bit about it. But, you know, if you have a poor range warm up and you're not hitting it well, I don't want you going to the first tee feeling demoralized and, you know, not looking forward to your round or saying it's a foregone conclusion that you're not going to play well. And conversely, if you were like striping the ball, Don't peacock to the first tee assuming you're going to shoot your best round ever either. I try and look at the range session from more of a neutral perspective and not place too much emphasis on how well or how poorly I'm hitting it and use that as a predictor for the day. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for for me, it's just a problem solving thing. There's not really much emotion involved in it. And as my problem solving skills have become better, as I've learned more about the game, I don't really get frustrated in a warm-up anymore. But you're right. I mean, it. while the patterns may remain pretty similar from range to course, it's not a predictor of your success. Like, I, I was just lasering them the last time I went on the range to warm up and went on the course. And it wasn't bad, but it, it, wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't flushing it like it was on the range. And the complete opposite can happen as well. So it's not a predictor necessarily, although the patterns tend to remain the same or similar. Yeah, I, I haven't seen, and this is anecdotal, but I haven't seen much correlation between my warm-up session and scoring. You know, we'll get into maybe what patterns you can look at or be aware of. But yeah, it's not a predictor. And I thought, you know, this past weekend, Tiger came back to the Masters and it was incredibly exciting. And in particular, his first round, I think, was shocking to a lot of people because it was a tough day. And, you know, we didn't know what to expect from him because of his body, his long layoff over 500 days since he had played in a tournament. And he shot one under in pretty tough conditions. And in the post-round interview, you know, they asked him if he was nervous on the first tee. And he was quite honest. He said that he had a really poor range session, a poor warm-up before the round. And the quote from his, he says, I I went back to what my dad always said. Did you accomplish the task in the warm-up? It's a warm-up. Did you warm up? He's like, yes, I did. Now go play. And he says, that's all I did. I went and go play. And I thought that was a great quote from him. And of course, you know, we're not all Tiger and all that, but 
I think everyone listening to this knows what it feels like when you do have a bad range session before the round and the fear that can instill in you. But that's not the goal here. It's not to say like, okay, I'm going to play great or poorly today. That's not the goal. The goal is to get ready to play. And that's exactly what Tiger said. So I thought it was just like a really cool little anecdote that he shared from his dad that he he used to this day. I mean, to be honest, I almost use a bad warm-up, if it ever happens, as a positive. I use it to taper my expectations. If I were hitting it awful on the range, usually, okay, so a scenario where I'd hit it awful on the range in a warm-up would be when you go and there's a sandy range and you just can't get that ball first strike. You know, on these sandy ranges, you hit it half an inch behind and it looks like you've completely fatted it. So those are the days... I hate, I hate sandy ranges. Yeah, yeah, they're scary days because you go out thinking, oh my God, I'm going to be like an amateur here. But it tapers my expectations when I walk onto the course and I think, okay, well, I'm not striking it really well. I've got to laser focus in on something that's going to help me with ground contact. And those are actually days where I play quite well because I just have increased awareness of ground contact, which is almost always a good thing. Or, you know, even if the ball isn't doing what I want it to directionally, maybe I played a safer spot, which we know we should all be doing. And I think that was my mistake this week when I played is I was hitting it so well on the range that I probably went on the course and I was playing a little bit more aggressively towards the flags and the scoring wasn't as good as it should have been. So, yeah, these warm-ups, they can flip on you. You can have a good warm-up and go out on the course with too high expectation, which is usually a bad thing, and then you can have a bad warm-up and it tapers your expectations on the course, allows you to play more strategically and maybe focus on the right things more. I have a funny little story. Hopefully, I haven't told it before on here and bore people again with it, but it it taught me an important lesson about warm-ups, especially in tournaments. So, back in 2015, when I first started practical golf, I had not played in any type of competitive environment in like, I don't know, 15 years. And to be honest, I was not a very good competitor in high school in my brief college career. Anyway, I got my handicap low enough, I think, the US Open cutoff is 1.2 or 1.4. So I said, as a gift to myself, I'm going to play in the US Open qualifier. So my buddy from college caddied for me. And this was at Bethpage Red, which, you know, my fellow Long Islanders, we know that that's a a great unsung hero of public golf. Bethpage Black gets all the attention, but Red is also an awesome golf course and a tough one. So I go to warm up. I start hitting balls on the range. I'm definitely nervous. And I just start shanking it like never a problem for me. And I just start, I think it was with my eight iron. I just start shanking a few. I look back at my friend and he's kind of giving me a look and I'm like trying to shug it off. And they just kept coming (laughs) shank after shank after shank. And it was not a good feeling. And I I remember going to the first tee. I got there way too early. I, I was 30 minutes early. And US Open qualifiers, you've got a mixture of playing professionals, you know, teaching pros, elite amateurs, or at least they should be elite amateurs. There's some people who fudge their handicap to get there. And I'm just sitting on the first tee at Bethpage Red, terrified. And it's a pretty imposing tee shot. I'm watching these guys just bomb it down the fairway 300 yards straight. And I start to panic a little bit. I was like, what are you doing here? This was a horrible... (laughs) I got really scared. I'm like, this is not going to go well. And my first tee shot, I just had like jelly in my hands and I duck hooked it like 150 yards 
And I was just absolutely terrified. And long story short, I pitched it out. I had a 130-yard shot in. I remember thinking to myself, don't shank this, don't shank this, don't shank this. And I played great. I, I think I finished like 60th out of 120. My irons felt awesome. And it was a really fun memory for me. But, you know, it just luckily I was able to settle in after that first shot. I don't know what would have happened if I had shanked it. But I couldn't have been more terrified to start the round and it ended up being fine. So you just, you know, you just never know. So that goes against everything we've ever said about positive psychology. <laughs> you were standing. Exactly. Don't, don't yeah, it was just. It, don't shank it. <laughs> exactly. But that's, you just, you know, with golf, you know, you try and give yourself the best opportunity, but you just don't know what's going to happen half the time. And what's funny was, is the next tournament, I signed up for more tournaments because I had a good result. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be a great tournament golfer now. And I remember having a great warm-up session for the next tournament, just striping the ball, going up to the first tee confident, and I played horribly. Just shook me to my core like it was that bad. So, I think those two rounds taught me a very important lesson about not having much emotional buy-in to the range session in one way or another. You know, just like Tiger and his dad were saying, is like, the goal is to get ready to play. So, don't veer off in either direction based on what's going on. Now, we can talk about paying attention to feedback. We're definitely going to get into that. But that's more of an analytical, non-emotional type of process versus, you know, if, if I went to every round terrified like that, I don't think I would play very well based on, you know, doing a roller coaster of emotions based on a warm-up session. Those were just kind of two random events that I thought I would tell everyone, but they were quite funny in retrospect. Yeah, we've all had those scenarios. I mean, the same could be said of form in general. You know, if you've played a really good round of golf a week before your last event, you often go into this new one with those high expectations and it can fall flat on you or, or reverse. So yeah, don't let anything, even past events, you know, warm-ups or past rounds of golf affect your expectations too much. That's why we talk about expectation management. We got to do it on one yeah, side. Yeah, you just don't yeah, know. You got to do it on both sides of the bell curve as well. You've got to make sure that when you're playing poorly, you've got to understand that that's not a guarantee that you're going to continue with that form. Every single shot you hit is a brand new fresh start effectively. And on the flip side of that, when you're playing well, you can't expect that to continue. When you're playing your best, you can't expect that to continue. I think that was one of my blog posts was how to play your best golf every single time. Obviously, it'll be a clickbaity of an article, but the answer within the article is you can't play your best golf every time. And lots of people don't eat. They don't understand that. They don't realize that even the best in the world, the pros don't play their best every time. They don't go out and shoot 63 every single time. But we're getting off topic here. Let's get into the nitty gritty of a warm up session the hitting part yeah do we want to start with a lot of the questions i got on twitter were for people who have limited yeah. time do we want to start off why don't we start off with the ideal scenario let's say you have i try not to show up to the course an hour beforehand maybe for a tournament but for me the ideal time to get ready for a round if i have it is somewhere between like 30 to 45 minutes at most i don't like to show up with a crazy amount of time do we want to start with like okay, you've got some time here, some things you can go through, and then we'll try and whittle it down to the priorities as your time availability decreases. Well, I'll start with one of the mistakes that I made. As a junior, I used to over-prepare. 
and I always used to book. You could actually choose whether you wanted a morning or an afternoon tea time. So I would always book the afternoon tea time, and I'd arrive at the course at like seven o'clock in the morning, and I would do a four or five hour warm up. <laughs> I mean, I was a kid; I was playing all the time. Yeah, anyway. no, it's fun. Yeah, yeah, but I didn't realize the concept as a junior that okay, I could my body could handle all that practice and going out, but I wouldn't yeah, necessarily play it, and my mind wouldn't be able to handle all that. So, yeah, I would do a, just an insane warm-up and never play that well in the tournaments because I'm probably mentally drained more than physically drained at that point. Now I've tapered it down. An hour for me is the sweet spot. Anything less than that feels a little rushed. I know that's a long time for most people. Most people can't commit to that. I can do a decent warm-up in 30 minutes as well if I have to, but I kind of just like, you know, just ambling my way to the range and just dropping a few clubs on the ground, walking back every now and again. So I'm not hitting them too quickly. I'm doing more routines and things like that. But yeah, I mean, on Twitter, we had even all the way down to, I've got 34 seconds every single day. <laughs> yeah, What's the like, best what do one? I do? Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I don't know if I can help you if you're just running out of your car door to the first tee. And I know a lot of golfers do that. I mean, yeah, if you are running, try and do as much of a physical warm-up before. I have had those scenarios where I've turned up. And I mean, the thing that I do, I don't actually do any physical hitting. If I've got five minutes, for example, it's pointless getting to the range, really. I would rather stand there and just do a bunch of practice swings because I can get 20, 30 practice swings in in a minute, just swinging back and forth. And that's more likely to get the blood flowing to my body. So I don't actually hit balls if I've got a really limited time. Yeah. If it's like less than 10 minutes, then I would definitely defer to more of the dynamic warm up, dynamic stretching where you're getting your body warm versus hitting balls. I don't really get much out of rushing to the range and swinging really fast and hitting a few balls. Like I'd rather use that five or 10 minutes to get the blood flowing in my body with different types of stretches and stuff like that. Yeah. I would just start with long swings, but really smooth at first. And then after about a minute of doing that back and forth, I'll start to add ramp the speed up a little bit. So it's just getting blood flow into the muscles. And the only thing I would pay attention to really is I'm focusing on what I call arc height or arc depth. So I'm trying to brush the grass in different heights. So go for the bottom of the grass, the middle of the grass, the top of the grass, just to get my coordination warmed up effectively or to see what, how my body's reacting that day. But I wouldn't run to the range to actually hit balls because you're probably better off loosening up your body by that point. And then I just run and, and hit a few putts just to get the speed of the greens because that's going to be hugely important. I'd almost rather get the speed of the greens than see what my shot patterns are for the day. As weird as that sounds, I can calibrate very quickly the shot patterns I'm hitting but getting the speed of the greens takes a few more repetitions at least yeah at minimum if there is a putting green there definitely if you can hitting four five six putts just to get some type of gauge on what the greens are like is very helpful I know sometimes the speed of the greens on the practice facility are not always the same as the course but at least it'll be in the ballpark and you know with the quick warm-up you know some I've used it before I think one of the few helpful training aids out there for that is the orange whip that definitely a really good just because it's weighted and it has the flexibility and I think it can get your kind of get you in a nice rhythmic motion and it has some weight to it so it will help warm you up a bit and get those muscles a little stretched out and warmer so definitely the orange whip is a helpful tool for those people who are short on time 
So let's say we do have time to hit the range. I like to start off with establishing my feel with kind of those intermediate 30, 40, 50 yard wedge shots. That's the thing that I like to establish. And even if I have only a small amount of time on the range, I'm not going to go out there and start swinging at my driver full bore. I I go straight to my lob wedge and I'm just doing those very small chip pitch type motions, mainly to warm up the body as well. I don't want to start going full bore and, and hurt myself. And I also want to establish my feel. Like that's very important to me is getting that wedge feel initially if I'm going through a full warm up. Yeah, in, in an hour. I don't really focus too much on the feel part because I've got that locked down with more of a clock-based system. But I'm just loosening up the body. The first 15 minutes for me is literally just loosening up the body. I'm not even really looking at patterns of shots during that time. I might have one basic focus, which is in 99% of the cases, it's strike quality. Just trying to get that ball first strike. But yeah, I start with a few pitch shots. I might do 5 to 10 30, 50 yarders, and then I'll go up to a 75% swing, then maybe a 90% swing. I mean, I never really go up to 100%, but it can take me 20 shots minimum before I I make my first full swing motion. Whereas, Yeah, I'm somewhat similar to that. I'll hit a lot of... I just feel like it's not necessarily for distance control, but I like those intermediate wedge shots just because it does help get the body warmed up. But for me... I feel like if I can hit those shots, my body will be synced up very nicely. Whereas if I just went straight into like a seven iron swing, rhythm and the timing of my swing is very important to me. So I feel like doing those small wedge shots helps get that motion going in my body a bit more. It's like a gentle introduction to the day, so to speak. So yeah, I might spend 15 or 20 shots before I would hit a full you know, 100-yard shot with my, you know, sand wedge or lob wedge, something like that. It's going to take a while for me to get there. Yeah, if I hit a 7-iron, full bore 7-iron straight out of the car, I think the first 20 shots would be absolutely horrendous from me. Yeah, you wouldn't really get much out of them. Yeah, that's why I never do that, yeah. <laughs> always always going with the wedges first and building up, yeah. So, as I said, 20 shots minimum for me before I hit something that resembles a full shot. So don't, I know there's people who show up and just start rifling their driver. Yeah, I can't fathom that. Yeah, I just don't think it's a good idea for a number of reasons. I'm worried about injury. It's the longest club in your bag. Like you're just, your impact's probably going to suffer. The timing of your swing might be all off. So you're just kind of, I think you're getting off on the wrong foot going with a longer club versus the shortest one in your bag. Yeah. So yeah, I I do this probably 15 minutes just purely working on getting the body warmed up so maybe 20 shots minimum to 15 minutes that might include some stuff that we'll go through in another episode which is like stretching well not stretching dynamic warm-up but then after that i enter more of a pattern phase a pattern identification phase so then i'm honing in on right what can i improve here to make this ball flight better and it's always going to be a ground contact face contact or face direction issue that similar for you john yeah i mean whenever i'm hitting golf balls we talk about feedback on the show all the time i'm always thinking of our big three or four how did the shot feel where did i strike it on the face it's hard to do on artificial turf but you know i think you can get some decent feedback on ground contact and for me 
I'm looking at where my shot's starting and the curvature. So I've talked, you know, people who listen to this show know what I'm dealing with in terms of my shot shape at this point. So I'm seeing, you know, is this a nice little straight, tight draw day or am I maybe hooking it a bit more or am I starting the ball too far left or to the right? I'm paying attention to these things. I'm still not in, I don't know if panic is the right word, but I'm not like, I'm not placing too much emphasis on what's going on just yet. You know, if if I showed up and I started hitting 20 shots to the left, then I'm like, okay, I've got to figure out how to get this face more open. Or if I'm hooking the ball, I'm like, okay, then my swing path is a bit of a mess. I don't find that too much in in this stage of my golf life. So yeah, I'm paying attention. But at the same time, I'm also just mostly thinking about getting the body ready type thing where I'm looking at it, but I'm not panicking or placing too much faith in what's going on at the moment. But yeah, if, if something is popping up, like if I notice I'm healing it or I'm pulling it, then yeah, I'm going to say, what can I do here to improve that right now? I will definitely do that. Yeah. 90%, I'd say even more, 95% of the cases when I'm warming up, there's something that can be improved in those big three that we talk about. And then it's a decision, do we intervene? Do we try to do something to improve it? Because, you know, adding a thought can be, it can help you, but there's also a cost to it as well. You're now, I say, taking up one of the slots in your brain of awareness towards something that could be diverted elsewhere. So it's a decision whether to do that or not. You know, if it's a slight left shot, I might not worry about it too much. I might just say, I'll just pick a different aim point today. I'll aim more right. But if it's a big hook, I'm going to do something. Maybe I introduce something more technical to change that. It could be something simple. Usually I go with just opening the face at a dress. (laughs) I really don't keep it and make face direction complicated. And then maybe how's ground contact? You know, if you're fatting it, you got to do something to change that. Or if you're shanking it, you've definitely got to do something to change that. That's the worst case. Or you could just go into a panic and a cold sweat like well, I you did could, that Yeah, day. you could get that lucky time <laughs> where you you don't change anything or you don't think anything relevant and, and it changes itself, but you never want to rely on that. <laughs> to be fully honest with the listeners, unfortunately, that rain session was a predictor of an issue I was going to have that summer that was very uncomfortable, but I did eventually fix it. I don't want to talk about it too much because I don't want to give myself bad vibes. (laughs) But there was something going on there. And luckily, I avoided it that day, but it came back. So yeah, I think it's the extremity of what's going on. As you said, if it's just like a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right, that's not that big of a deal. But as I said earlier, if I step up and everything's going left and quite a bit, then I might use one of those slots in my brain to make an adjustment on the range. And I think that's different for each player. You know, you and I are more on the the skilled, more experienced golfer, you know, the beginner to intermediate player. You know, their range sessions could look like that a lot anyway. So I don't want to get people like panicking too much and making all these changes before they play, because I think you can go a little overboard with it as well. So the name of the show is Sweet Spot. So we want to get you somewhere in between those two. Now, not panicking or being too emotional about it, but at the same time realizing like, okay, maybe something's going on here. I will acknowledge it, perhaps intervene a little bit. I would rather wait to be on the course for a few holes to see if something shows up. Cause there's been times where I have warm up sessions 
and I have noticed a pattern and then it just doesn't exist on the golf course. Like something else pops up. Like it truly is a bizarre game. Like, you know, once you start playing and you go on that first tee, crazy stuff happens. I don't need to tell this to everyone who listens to this show. Like things show up that didn't show up on the range sometimes. So you kind of have to be careful about how overboard you go in either direction, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, well, that's why after my pattern recognition phase, so we have the body warm-up, the physical warm-up, then I go into a pattern recognition, you know, what's happening in the big three. And after that, that doesn't last too long. After that, I then go into random practice, so simulation mode. So for the rest of the warm-up routine, I'm doing my full golf routine. I'm standing back. I'm maybe even changing clubs, changing targets. And that is more likely, that type of practice is more likely to bring about the patterns that are going to be produced on the course. Not always, but you massively increase the likelihood as opposed to doing block practice. You know, standing there, same shot over and over, same target. That's more likely to give you false patterns, which is why I'm such a huge advocate of random practice, especially in pre-tournament practice or pre-round practice. Yeah, I would say when I'm, especially for a tournament warm-up session, I'm trying to go through my full routine. I know some that the discipline to do that sometimes is a bit of a, a huge ask for all levels of golfers. But I do think what you said and through my experience has proved that is that if I do want to get myself more in the zone and ready to play, then I think going through the exact same routine that I would on the course where I'm picking a target, you know, going through my swing rehearsal, going through my alignment, which is very specific in my pre-shot routine and going through that process, maybe for the last 10 or 15 minutes is very helpful because it's getting you closer to game time mode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's also, you know, when you have to stand back and replace your hands on the grip and walk in and line yourself up and look at the target and get the perception. Do I feel right? All of these things go into the mix of whether a shot is good or not. And most of those things are lost when you're doing block practice. That's why block practice doesn't have that level of transference. So, yeah, I, I think random practice has been a huge improvement in my warm-up. The only disadvantage to random practice during that time is you're getting fewer reps in. That's why I like to do the physical warm-up first so my body's warmed up. And even in terms of the adjustments that you may make to the shot flight, you're getting fewer of those. Because random practice, there's more of a time delay. You know, you're having to walk out of the shot, change club. You can hit fewer balls in a minute with that. And so there are going to be fewer repetitions, fewer chances to adjust. So you kind of have to weigh that up. If you've got a persistent pattern there that needs adjusting and you're having a hard time adjusting it, you might go back into more blocky practice to get more reps at that. Whereas if it's a case of finding out what patterns, what real patterns are going to occur on the course today, then that's where you do more random practice. I'll just throw this in there as just kind of a, it's something that has helped me. I'm not suggesting everyone do this, but I have spoken about my belief in the timing and tempo of the golf swing before. I do have, it's a Garmin watch. Both the Garmin S60 and S62 models do have tempo tracking on it. I will do this before tournaments sometime and they've done the folks at Tor Tempo have done this before, especially with Tiger when he was struggling. Sometimes I've noticed patterns when I get nervous for a round that the timing of my swing can get thrown off considerably. And I know just through doing my tempo training that my ratio of 2.8 to one is where I'm striking the ball my best. So sometimes I will check in on my swing tempo. I'd say that's 
more of a different slash advanced technique, but I know a lot of people listening to this do use the beats and they do like tour tempo. That's been very helpful for me to just kind of benchmark where I am because there are some days where I don't feel it, but my backswing could be way faster than normal or slower than normal. And I, I kind of check in with this from time to time just to give myself another piece of feedback that is helpful for me. Not saying everyone should do that, but that is something I do on the range from time to time. Yeah, I do something similar. If I focus on the rhythm of the swing if things are inconsistent. So there's two type of days that you're going to have where you turn up and there's a persistent pattern. Maybe everything's out of the toe, maybe everything's left. If that's the case, then you address that with a relevant focus intervention. However, if it's all over the place, if it's left, right, fat, then then usually I will focus on something more general like rhythm. Because if you keep a consistent rhythm, you're more likely to keep consistent forces and torques throughout the swing, which can result in more consistent outcomes. And that's why most people find those thoughts work for them. So rhythm or tempo, yeah, I'm all, all for it if it's a bit random. And yeah, even on the topic of changing things so if you do have a persistent pattern and you have to make an intervention you have to have those interventions practiced already you can't intervene with something brand new it can't be oh i'm hitting a shank oh, i don't know what i do in this scenario let's try a few things no that's the worst case scenario don't do that you've got to have had these things trained already so that's that's one of the things i ask all my players is like okay if a shank occurs what do you do if a toe shot occurs, what are you going to do? If a fat shot occurs, if a thin shot occurs, if a left or a right shot occurs, what do you do? So basically, I need every single one of my players to have at least six tools, one tool for each one of those. If there's a tool missing, we build it. We're going to take a quick break there, and we will be right back. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. LinkedIn is not just a job board. It helps you hire professionals you cannot find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to a new perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Also on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Just recently, they even launched a new feature that helps you write your job description, making the process even easier and quicker. And they know that small business owners like myself and Adam are wearing so many hats and might not have the resources to hire. So it's a great place to get help. Now, here's what you can do. Post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, I think that's part of my thought earlier in the episode when I was saying that I don't want people to start haphazardly doing things. And if you say, especially if they're not prepared for it, like if you do see something that's troubling and and you don't have a logical fix for it, then you just kind of have to say, I'm just getting my body ready. This is not a big deal. I'm just going to go play golf today. If you didn't have those tools. Now, if you did, if you had like, I'm slicing it today, 
let me think back to what I worked on with my instructor or, or maybe something you've learned from this show that we've talked about. You know, I got to get that swing path a little less out to in. Then you could make that meaningful adjustment if something seems to be extreme. But again, I'm always trying to not go into that panic mode or overdrive mode where you're, you've got 20 minutes before your tea time and you're like frantically trying to figure something out. I just think that could put you in a state that's not productive to having a good time on the course that day. So yeah, there's definitely a fine line there and you want to make sure if you do have a fix, then you're prepared to use it. Go for it. I think that makes complete sense. Yeah, I mean, if you're entering that panic mode, that's a sign that you don't have these tools available to you. And so that, okay, on for that round, yes, you might have to do something more generic, general. But in the future, you have to say, wow, I don't have these tools available to fix these faults. I need to go and develop them. And that's where you go and find all my information on Next Level Golf or <laughs> you know something else that works for you. Yeah, I think, and it, it's interesting, I always... You know, think about when you cross over from the range, you know, if you are hitting balls to the first tee and it was actually something interesting that happened in the Masters as well. I, I tweeted about it on Sunday. Scotty Scheffler, who is the eventual winner, he started off, he's a fader of the golf ball and his first three or four tee shots were all double crosses. His opening tee shot into the woods left. On three, he went so far left, he got relief from the, the scoreboard and then he hit one of the best pitch shots I've ever seen in my life. He holed it out. And then on four on the par three, he hit another double cross with a long iron and, and his short game saved him. And as good as he is and as nervous as he was, he figured out a way. I guarantee he knew intuitively that his face was too closed at impact. And he figured out a way and he got back to his his stock fade for the rest of the day. But these are the things that can happen. You know, Obviously, that's an example from one of the biggest tournaments in the world. But yeah, these are the things that happen where sometimes it doesn't show up on the range and then all of a sudden it shows up on the first few holes and you're like, okay, now I've got to deal with this. And you know, I don't want to go into that topic too much because we do discuss on-course adjustments so much, but whether you're going to have to make them on the range or earlier in your round, you know, this is the path to better golf and it is relative to each player's skill level. That's just super important stuff and we keep saying it over and over again because that is golf. It's all these constant adjustments when they're necessary. Yeah, even the first few holes are going to be, even after a good warm-up, you're going to be calibrating, on-course calibration. And if you don't have a good warm-up, so you know, if you turn up and you've got three minutes and all you can do is a few practice swings on the first tee, then yeah, those first few holes, you're just like, okay, what are my patterns? At least you know that those patterns are real for the day because you're actually on the course this time. And yeah, you've got to have the tools to be able to calibrate them. Whether it could be something as simple as just changing your aim points. So you talked about a Tiger quote earlier. I've got another one here. So he was warming up and someone asked in the crowd, he said, there are going to be days where you're warming up and pulling it left or right. Do you find that out in the warm-up and just adjust it? And then Tiger says, you know, I try and fix it. And if I can't fix it here on the range, I'll at least have an understanding of where to shift my aim points. So if I'm having a day where I'm overcutting it, I'll go to the right side of the tee box for a better angle. And if the pin is on the right, that's good for me because he's missing it to the right. And if it's on the left, I'll dump it on the center of the green and move on. And then he said there are also days where it can be the exact opposite. So just a couple of sentences there, but so much information. So he says if he has a problem, he will try and fix it on the range. But he says that if he can't, 
he'll at least have an understanding of where to shift his aim points. So maybe using strategic adjustments, aiming at different points mentally. So that's, you know, I always talk about the difference between aim, which is kind of your mental target, and target, which is where you want the ball to finish. So your target might be the middle of the green, but you might be mentally aiming at the left or right side of the green in order to hit the middle of the green. I know that sounds complicated, but... I think we need to do a separate episode. I've been wanting to talk about that for sure. If I'm remembering correctly, our episode with Dylan Fratelli, who's a PGA Tour player, you know, he talked about that as well, where on certain days he'll just adjust his aim point if he notices something in his swing that he's not going to change. Yeah, yeah. So that's your decision, right? Do you try and fix it or do you just play with what you've brought? I mean, if you bring a shank to the table, <laughs> you can't, re- can't really <laughs> play with that. I mean, what are you going to do? Aim 90 degrees left to account for the shank and club up? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if clubbing up works with the shank. Yeah, it's always different for the, you know, the, when the, the top players in the world say like, oh, well, some days I show up with the fade and some days i show up with the draw and it's like well yeah you're, you're showing up with like a two-foot fade and two-yard draw and that's the day you're going to play it whereas you know the rest of us have to worry about far more extreme circumstances so yeah that is i think one of the toughest questions is what tiger said i think does make a lot of sense if you can't fix it then you have to account for it i guess is what he was trying to it's say possible yeah yeah you know, sometimes it just doesn't work you know sometimes we're going out there and I've had days where one part of my game is very uncomfortable and I'm just going to have to limit the damage that you know, we're veering off into a separate topic there. But that is golf. I wrote an article once called the two third rule where I thought, you know, I pretty much said that I've never had full success in all phases of the game, you know, tee shots, approach shots and finesse shots being inside of 100 yards and putting. I've never had a day where I've had all three of those going extremely well i've played some of my best golf when two out of three of them are going well and the third one i just had to manage the best i could there are things you can do real real basic i mean they would fall into the category of band-aid but it's okay to use them if you if you go around a golf i'll use band-aids occasionally in my own game so if you're hitting heel or toe just set up out the opposite side of the face for for a lot of people that can work you'd have to decide whether it works for you if I'm missing left or right on the day, I'll just set the face open or closed at address to counter it. And, you know, if I'm hitting fat, I might just nudge the ball back in my stance an inch or two. You know, these aren't things that you might necessarily want to use long term. But if they get you through the round, if they get you through the day, they can be okay to implement occasionally. Is there anything else on full swing? Because, you know, there is... I'm trying to account for every scenario that golfers have because, you know, some people show up to the course and there is no range. So everything we've talked about is not possible. I know we got some questions like that on Twitter. Some courses do have a chipping area and a putting area. Is there anything else in the the range part of the warm up that you wanted to discuss? Because, you know, we, we I do have some thoughts on uh, maybe short game facility, that type of stuff. Yeah, I've got a few things based on questions. So someone asked, should I be doing technical drills in the warm-up? My instinct says no, but it depends. Basically, I wouldn't be doing anything new on the range. If something is well rehearsed for you and you know it works for you, then yeah, it's fine to do something a little bit more technical on the range in the warm-up. But you've got to separate it out. It's not a training session. You're not trying to ingrain something new. 
So an example of this, right, a technical, about as technical a focus as I'll ever go in my own game is the feeling of a later release. So I just feel like I swish the club a little later. And for me, that moves the ground contact forwards and it keeps the face more open. So that's a good thing. If I'm warming up and I'm finding everything's going left and it's fat, then I can say, right, let's just do a later release feeling and it kills two birds with one stone. But the difference here is I've been rehearsing that. I've been practicing that as a drill for 10 years or so, maybe even longer. So it's not like I'm bringing something new into the warm-up. It's a technical drill that I'm already well-versed in. I only have to do a couple of swings to get that and convert it into a feel. And then I may play with that feel for the rest of the day. So yes, you can do technical things on the range, but you've got to make sure that they're they're well rehearsed and they work for you. That's the most important thing. They're relevant. Relevancy, that's the word. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah, I think for people working with, if you're working with a swing instructor and you know that we've got a great drill for you that counteracts one of the the flaws, whatever word you want to use in your golf swing, that makes sense to me. Like the, a professional looked at your swing and we say, all right, this is a very relevant tool for you. And Adam, you can make that distinction for yourself because you are a swing instructor and you know your swing very well. I wouldn't tell people to show up to the range with a technical drill they got from YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> that was just some random the thing, they, thing picked they picked up last night. Yeah. Which is, let's face it, that's what a lot of golfers are doing. They're showing up to the range, whether they're practicing or warming up with something new every time. Like that's where you get into trouble just because I just think you're changing lanes in a, in a traffic jam and going nowhere. I don't do a lot of technical stuff before I warm up. That's just not the kind of player I am, but I'm not against it. On the topic of relevancy as well, you may have things, technical drills that are relevant to your long-term outlook. So for example, say you're trying to change your swing path. That might be relevant to your long-term outlook. Maybe you're too in to out or out to in and you want to neutralize that. So long-term you're hitting less of a curve. However, in a warm-up, you've got to pick something that's relevant to your impact conditions at the moment. So if you're fatting everything and you're trying to change a swing path, that's not as relevant. Or I should say, if you're shanking it and you're trying to change a swing path, that is much less relevant. You've got to pick something that fixes the face strike, not the swing path. And I will argue until I'm blue in the face, the, the path is much less relevant to strike than most people give it credit for. But yeah, so the intervention, whatever you do, whether it's a simple setup change, whether it's a feel, or whether it's a technical thought, it has to be relevant to what do I need to improve impact to make my ball flight better right now? Not necessarily what do I have to do at long term. Because, you know, lots of people, they may try and change their takeaway or something. And that's just, it doesn't have anything to do with what you're doing with the ball right now. So, yeah, I, th I think that's important to understand for people. You have any thoughts on that, John? There's my closing thought on the full swing stuff. It's be careful with towing the line between, you know, intervening too much or even getting too emotional and panicked about what you're seeing versus also reminding yourself that like, I'm just getting ready here. I'm just getting warmed up. You know, my body's not fully ready yet. I might make some funky swings, but you know, nothing to go crazy about unless you start seeing something more extreme. And then as you said, if it's a ground contact thing, don't intervene with a swing path 
<laughs> intervention. It's got to be relevant to the problem you're seeing. And hopefully you're learning more and more about that as you listen to this show. But yeah, I'm mostly trying to toe that line where I'm just saying, I'm just getting ready. I'm paying attention, but I'm also not like placing way too much emphasis on every shot. That's really my philosophy on if you are hitting balls beforehand. And there is one other thing some people asked is, you know, with driver swing speed and getting kind of up to cranking away on that, you know, there are some things you could do to prime up your body because sometimes, you know, you do want to tee off. Distance is important. And if you are not properly warmed up and let's say your average driver swing speed is 100 miles an hour, you might go to the first tee with 92 or 93. And that could cost you, you know, that loss of distance means something. You know, listen to our episode with Mark Brody on strokes gained. So there are some things you could do. I'd veer more on the side of the physical things like super speed golf or the stack. They have some protocols you can do on the range for five or 10 minutes to get your swing speed going, or you can take care of that with a dynamic warm up. But that's another thing that, you know, if you do have a decent amount of time, yeah, I'd want to get my driver's swing speed a little bit closer to what I'd want on the course. So I'm ready to go in that department in a responsible manner. I don't want to hurt myself either. But I, I think that's if you, if you had the hour plus time, that would be something you could throw in there. Yeah, if I know that I'm going to be getting to the range a little late, I'll often get into the back garden and just do a, a dynamic warm up there. I'll swing the stack system. So I get the body warmed up before I get to the course. So that that allows me to get on the range and hit a few balls straight off the bat instead of going through the loosening up of the body. So that's an option. But I think most people really, they're coming from the office, aren't they? So they don't even have that opportunity. Yeah. I mean, we're painting a like rosy picture here where you're, you know, you're getting to the course and you got all this time and, and most people are in this chaotic rush to the first tee. So we're trying our best here. We realize Everyone has different situations. You're going to have to work out a car, an in-car warm-up session, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stretch out your neck. I've, <laughs> I've pulled my neck muscles sometimes, like get the head rolling around. Yeah, that type of stuff might help. So do we want to talk about if there is a short game facility, what you can do there? I mean, I, I for me, it's mostly like speed of the greens. I'm not someone who does... I don't show up to the practice screen with you know, the putting gates and the lines and all that stuff. Yeah. I know you see some pros doing that before they play. I'm a big proponent of focusing on the speed of the greens. I think that will make you the best version of yourself in terms of putting performance. So yeah, if you've got in a perfect world, I'm going to spend, especially in a tournament where they got the greens rolling, I'm going to spend a good 10, 15 minutes on the putting green, really trying to lock in my speed. Yeah. I'm not necessarily, this is just me. And again, I'm not the greatest putter in the world. I'm not going too crazy on the short putts, worrying about if I'm pulling or pushing them. Cause that I've gotten myself into a funk with that stuff where I've been hitting like six footers over and over again. And I'm missing a bunch of them. I'm like, Oh, oh what's going on here? Like I don't do a lot of that. I'm more focused on can I hit some putts from 15, 20, 30, 40 feet and mix it up and just really lock in that speed. That's what I'm mostly concerned with. I'm the same as you. I hardly hit any short putts, any putts inside 10 feet really. It's all 20 and 30 footers. I'm really trying to lock in the speed. And something that I that made a big difference in my game is I used to drop three balls down and hit them all to the same 
cup. Yeah. And after that first one, let me guess, you've got one. Yeah, now. yeah. I just, well, I actually, if, I sometimes take two. Or two. I take two, but I hit yeah. them to different holes. So I'll hit the first yep. one to one place, and then I'll go to a longer putt or a shorter putt, and I'll hit it to a different one. So it's it's a different putt each time. And I do my full practice uh, routine as well because here is a case where more reps is not necessarily better. It's the quality of rep is really going to make a difference. And even to the point where if you're warming up and you hit three balls to the same hole, you're going to look great. But your brain is really not learning anything when you're doing that. It's not learning as much as if you were to hit two putts at different places and even perform worse so you know you oh i've hit it five foot short i've net not that next one ten foot long but your brain is going to be learning and absorbing more relevant information when you're doing that so don't misconstrue performance for learning or transference to the golf course so i would really urge people to get into a much more random putting mindset when they're warming up here Another thing you could do, I know it's a popular speed drill, but don't even, especially if maybe the putting green is crowded, you could just putt to the edge of the fringe. You know, don't even worry about a hole, put a tee down, something like that, and just try and go from different parts of the green and get the ball to where the fringe starts. And you're not even necessarily worrying about, you know, did I make or miss the putt? It's more about what was my proximity to my target in terms of the speed control, distance control. That to me is where you should place in my belief your your primary emphasis i just think the you know rolling a bunch of five footers and and feeling good about making them or feeling bad about missing them i don't know how that is preparing you for the round which i think putting is mostly a test of speed control you know most recreational golfers are struggling with three putts and keeping the ball close to the hole or close enough from their first putt so that they're avoiding three putts and even inside 10 feet speed control is important. Not to say that I would work more on the face control part of it in your practice sessions. So that's like thinking about the technical elements of your putting stroke. Can I start this putt on my line and not push or pull it? I think some people can do that in warmups. That's just not something I do a lot of. Yeah, me neither. It's all speed control stuff. And then the other thing I like to do is hit it doesn't have to be a lot, maybe two, three, five chip shots onto the green if possible, just to see how they're spinning and reacting. How Yeah, how you want to see how the bounce. ball's releasing. Yeah, how hard is that bounce? Yep. How, how much is it rolling out? So, yeah, I like to get just two or three will give me enough information usually. And then I'm ready to go. I mean, in, a, in an ideal situation, I might spend 15 minutes putting, five minutes doing some chips and the other half hour doing full body, full swing stuff. Yeah. For me, in terms of the chipping, if there is a short game facility where I can chip some shots, I'm looking for turf conditions because, you know, when we talk about impact conditions and focusing on them, I know that my biggest struggle with wedge plays is usually how my wedge is interacting with the turf. So I like to, if the grass is tight and dry I'd like to feel that or I'd like to see how the ball is releasing on the greens or if it's a little wetter and spongier, just to give myself some type of introduction to what the conditions are going to be like that day or even the rough as well. You know, the rough is not the same at every golf course. I'll drop a few balls in the rough and and see how the balls is. It's super thick rough. Am I going to have to really, you know, increase the, the speed of the wedge going through there to muscle it out, so to speak? Or is it, you know, rough that's not as challenging and the ball's going to pop out more so those are if i have time and if there is a practice facility 
those are a few things I do. And then I'll hit some bunker shots just so I don't that, I mean that's the worst part of my game. So I'm always just trying to get my sand slash low point control with my bunker shots because I'm just trying to get something there to go out on the course with if I can. Not totally necessary, but I would if you have limited time, definitely the green speed stuff. That that would be where I'd place most of my emphasis. Yeah, if I get a really long range session, I will hit a few bunker shots as well to see if it's powdery sand or that kind of uh, gritty, marbly sand, which I love. Mostly it's powdery with a layer of concrete under it out here, but <laughs> it's, yeah, I like to get a feel for that as well, but I don't hit too many. It's not a training session necessarily. I think I got a question, maybe this wasn't on Twitter, but it was elsewhere where someone was noticing. You know, when they look at the range warm-ups on PGA Tour events, you know, the guys are using their launch monitors and stuff like that. The only technology I would use is what I mentioned before is my my swing tempo. I don't do that all the time, but I'll check in with it if I feel something's wrong. That's about the only technology I'm going to use. I'm definitely not videoing my golf swing. I'm not looking for spin numbers with range balls because that could be misleading. I don't really use any gadgets when I'm warming up. No, me neither. I mean, there's no point at that. I know I'm going to get shot to pieces for saying that. But <laughs> why do you need to know if your path is three degrees or five degrees into out or the face is two degrees closed? The ball flight will tell you what you need to know in that scenario. Yeah. The only scenario I could see where that wouldn't be the case is maybe if you're hitting driver and then there's gear effect in, in place. But a good player is going to be able to feel if that was a toe hook or you know a closed face hook and then you should be able to adjust from there but no i'm just looking at i'm just looking at the ball flight maybe i put some face spray on as well so i can get accurate face data because that's become more difficult now with more forgiving clubs you can hit it farther off the toe or heel and not even notice it so yeah i will spray the face for a couple of shots and see what's happening there but yeah, the ball flight, if that ball's going too far left, I'm doing something to open the face. If it's going too far right, I'm doing something to close the face. I'm not really tinkering with my path too much in a warm-up scenario. I think it's our plan. We've talked about this off-air is that we want to do more episodes on educating people about ball flight laws and impact stuff more thoroughly. But everything you need to know about what's going on at impact, you can see in your ball flight. It really is there. You just need to know what to look for and work backward and understand your tendencies. And that, for me, over the last five, six, seven years has unlocked a much higher level of golf than me worrying about, I have access to the launch monitors with all the path and stuff. I don't use it that much because I can see what's going on. I know it. And I've built those internal feels to counteract them and neutralize them. That, that's why I use that word so often. So, yeah, I think all the information's there. You just know, need to know what to look for and if you have the proper intervention, uh, which we discussed earlier. Yeah, like ev everything you need for short term to, to get out on the golf course is there in the ball flight. Obviously, yep. launch monitors are going to give you things like angle of attack and spin rate and launch angle. And that can be really valuable long term. You know, if you're looking to optimize your distance, getting those parameters optimized are going to be key. But that's not the type of thing you want to be doing in a warm up. So I'm not really looking at that or using technology in that regard. 
Did you have any other thoughts on the short game area? I think we kind of buttoned that up. Yeah, not short game. Someone questioned, they said, what about reducing swing thoughts down? So, they, you know, they get too jumbled. They'll go for a warm up and they'll start thinking one technical thing, then another technical thing. And then it'll be <laughs> in five minutes, <laughs> they've got rubber bands under their arms, towels under their arms, and swing jackets. And, you know, you don't want to be in that scenario. That's more of a training thing. So I, I would say, again, focus on what is relevant relevant to the big three and in particular focus on is relevant to the biggest of the big three so you know you might have your strike might be fine your face direction might be fine but your ground contact is poor okay focus on something that's relevant to that and again you should have that in in your mind you should have that tool built already if you don't that's part of your training there are ways sometimes, you know, I will wake up and there'll be two paw patterns. It'll be left and toe or maybe fat and left to which you need tools that can fix both or kill two birds with one stone. I mentioned how a later release for me will fix a fat shot and it will tend to fix a left shot or improve a left shot. So I have all these tools. I know this is really advanced, obviously, but if two faults are occurring or if three faults are occurring together, I can implement one focus that changes all of those things or influences all of those things. So that's kind of how I do online and in-person lessons when someone comes to me and they say, well, I have these faults impact. I'm fat, I'm toe, and I'm left. And I will think of the, the fewest interventions that can fix all of those. It may be one swing thought in, in many cases. Yeah, I think someone else mentioned uh, uh, what is too much. So I don't want you alluded to this earlier in the episode in your junior golf days. You don't need to show up two or three hours beforehand. I know we all get excited for golf and some of you might have unlimited time before your round. I mean, if, if you did want to show up a few hours beforehand and practice in a, in a separate way, like, yeah, that's fine. But, you know, you don't want to wear yourself out either. Yeah, if you're playing 18 holes, that's a four or five, hopefully not a six hour endeavor. That's a big mental commitment. It's a big physical commitment. And I just don't think if you want to get ready properly, I think you can get it done in 30 minutes. You can go through a nice full warm up with what we've discussed. And if you only had five or 10 minutes and there was no driving range in those instances, I would like to do that episode with Mike Carroll or someone else wants to jump in on that one on dynamic warm ups and what are best practices and to do to get your body ready, but that's what I would focus on with limited time. But you don't need to be there two hours beforehand. I just don't think you're going to be achieving anything extra. You're not going to get bonus points for the round. Let's put it that way. You might actually get diminishing returns. Yeah, more likely to, yeah. So I tweeted something the other day. This was actually when I was warming up. I said something along the lines of when I was a struggling golfer, after a bad shot, I used to ask myself, what did I do wrong on that shot? And in, in particular, I was thinking about with my swing, what I do wrong with my swing. But now, as a better golfer, after a bad shot, I ask, what could I do better for the next one? And specifically, I'm talking about at impact. So, you know, the example was I was hitting a shot and I fatted it. I hit a fat shot. And I felt something different in my swing. I mean, if I don't, I don't want to go too technical here, but I felt like I dropped in, in height a little bit more than usual. And my brain identified that and I remembered, wait there, as a, as a kid, as a junior, I'd start thinking about my drop in height. Whereas now, so I'm, I'm trying to think of it from a negative thing, what not to do. 
right? Don't drop in height. Whereas now I think of what can I do to make it better? And so in that fat shot, I just thought, right, I'll just try and hit the ground farther forwards or I'll try and hit it a little thinner this time. So it's a really subtle shift, but thinking in terms of positive, you know, not trying to not do something, you know, which lots of golfers, you say, what are you trying to do in the golf swing? Oh, well, I'm trying to not drop my head or not do this with my arm and think more positively. What are you trying to do? I'm trying to do this and make sure it's relevant. Again, I know I'm hammering that one home, but... So many golfers don't choose relevant thoughts. So yeah, just a subtle difference there. There's another question here, which I think is actually a pretty good one. Everyone else has experienced this at some point. Let's say your first driver swing on the range is crushed, like just absolutely perfect. Do you put the thing back in the bag and not try to spoil, not try to spoil those good feels with a couple of bad swings? I mean, my interpretation of that is, is then you're too results oriented. I'd be more interested in, can I take five, seven, eight driver swings to get me up to full 100% speed that I want to get to on the course? I don't think five to eight swings is enough to tell me how I'm going to drive it that day. So for me, no, I would not put it back in the bag. I'd be more interested in just, again, getting the body ready to swing that driver full speed for when I get on the course. I'm not going to use those five or six driver swings as a litmus test to how well I'm going to drive it that day. I don't want to go down that path. Yeah, the only time that I put my driver away early is if I hit maybe four out of five of my first drives really well. And I'll say, okay, yeah, that's that's enough of a confidence boost for me. One. <laughs> yeah, it, it is nice to see a few crushed drives. And I don't really hit too many of them because I don't want to exhaust myself. But at the same time, I, I just want to get up to that full speed. That is my main priority. But yeah, of course, if you crushed four or five of them, then that is a good feeling. You can't ignore that. <laughs> yeah. And if, you know, if I hit one good drive, I'm not going to stop there. But I do always like to finish with a good drive. <laughs> that can turn into a bad thing when you, you get frustrated because you're like, okay, I'm just going to finish with a good drive. Yeah. And then you're going to be sitting bad, there. You another one is bad. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're 10 deep and you're thinking, oh God, now I've ruined my confidence. It's like me trying to log off a of VR ping pong with one last win. I could have yeah, stuck yeah, there yeah. for a couple of <laughs> Had to get the VR ping pong plug in there. Yeah. yeah, I think it all boils down to I still want people or at least my interpretation of this warm-up stuff and why I wanted to include that Tiger quote is that I don't want anyone going to the first tee with – you know, being on too much of a high or too much of a low. It's like, okay, I got ready. I am ready to go and play golf now. This is going to be fun. My body's ready. We're good to go. Not, oh boy, I'm going to be slicing the crap out of my driver today. I better buckle in. Like, I don't want you stepping up to the first tee with that thought. That's not fun. So get the body ready, make some interventions if necessary, but do your best to step up to the first tee, not dwelling or peacocking on your performance on the range. I just have not seen that much correlation with how you play because, again, golf is a crazy game. You could score well without technically having a great ball striking day. And I've had days where my swing felt great and all of my impact conditions were satisfied fairly well and I didn't score well for whatever reason. It's just, it's a crazy game and there's not that much I shouldn't say there is correlation, but it's not it's not a done deal is what I'm trying to say. So don't don't kind of paint yourself into a corner before you step up to the first tee. Courses without ranges. So I recently 
my wife bought me a, a round at the win. This was just before the Bryson and Brooks thing. So it was in great shape and very expensive round. She bought it for me for my Christmas present. And she booked a limo as well to, to get us there. And so, uh, you know, I, she... So you had more room to do a dynamic stretch in there. <laughs> yeah, I did, Good. yeah. <laughs> but my wife doesn't understand golf as much. And I, I actually wanted an hour and a half warm-up to get there. Just at least half an hour to just get through the facility because I know it would be like a large facility. And I was checking the night before and I saw that they didn't have a range which showed ball flight. So it was like a 10-meter range or something. You just hit balls into a net. So I was like, oh, God, this is this is going to be really horrible. that's yeah. that's horribly that's very upsetting for a course that costs that much it's in the middle of the strip. They're trying. Oh, to that's right. Space. Yeah, it's close. They don't have the space. Yeah, yeah, but I just wanted to get they get a feel for the greens and stuff. But the limo was late. <laughs> and so I ended up getting there like 10 minutes earlier. So I had to rush to the range and just beat a few beat a few balls to see what my strike pattern was. But I couldn't see directionally what I was going to be doing that day. And I didn't even get chance to hit a putt because by the time I got to the first tee, the guys are like, well, the course is free. Let's go. And so I'm in, in a position where I'm like, well, I want to do 10 minutes of putting, but all you guys are ready. So I had to go with them. Peer pressure hit me too hard. So, yeah, that was I, I mean, I played well. So, again, it shows that your warm up doesn't necessarily create the score. But one of the things that I did, I knew that the range wasn't there so I went out the night before and I went to a driving range just to see what my patterns were there so it's it's not optimal but that is certainly something I would do if I know that I don't have chance to get on a range a full range on the day get the patterns before the night before it's going to be relatively similar I would say in most cases it's going to be better than not doing it at all let's just say that but other than that, it, it just, yeah, it does suck that if you don't have your ball flight and you can't hit balls, it does suck. You've got to do something. I mean, here's another thing you could do is just clip tees, make swings and brush the grass. You know, going for middle, bottom of the grass because arc height is going to be a huge thing to do with your striking quality. So if you can just warm up that on a patch of grass, then you're good. You could also hit some foam balls in your back garden and spray the face just to check where your strike is. So again, if the if the course doesn't have a range, you can at least get some of your patterns figured out in in a back garden. Yeah, I guess I kind of got used to that from high school golf. You know, when we played our matches, I mean, I don't remember how many matches I played total. Maybe it was 30, 40, something like that. We were never able to hit balls before any match. We just showed up and we were teeing off within 15, 20 minutes. So my earlier years in golf, I got so used to not hitting balls on the range. Now, I would prefer to do it, but I think for the golfers who don't have access to it that often, then yeah, you could do the, the swings and the, and I think what you said earlier about worrying about or thinking about arc depth on the swings, like as you're brushing the grass, can you go a little deeper? Can you go a little higher just to get something going there? But yeah, it's not a prerequisite for playing well. You can absolutely play well if you don't have access to a range beforehand. Again, I don't want you having a a mindset that, oh, I, I couldn't hit ball, so therefore I can't play well today. I think a lot of people do that to themselves where they say, oh, yeah, I just I wasn't able to hit balls in the range, so today's not going to be as, as good as I can do. I don't think you should have that type of attitude. I think it's it's going to be what it's going to be, and you do your best just to get the body ready. But go to the first tee with as minimal expectation as possible in one direction. 
All right. Are we ready for some closing notes? Yeah, I think, I mean, that's mostly my closing notes on this is that I just, I think that you prioritize your body and we have people all different ages listening to this. So the younger people don't have to worry about it as much. If you're, if you're 17 or 22 year old, maybe you don't have to worry about getting that body ready. But as I approach 40, I'm really worrying about those dynamic warm ups and getting my body warm. I think that helps me the most. And then going through the type of routine that we discussed on the range, getting your speed on the greens if you can. But yeah, look for the patterns, be aware of them. If you have an intervention, yes, you can use it. If you don't, <laughs> then don't start going around searching for something that's not there, as you said earlier. But I really do like, I love the Tiger's quote from his dad is that, did you accomplish the task? Did you warm up? Yes, go play now. Not how did you warm up? Oh, it didn't go well. Well, good luck to you today. I don't like that mentality. So that's my closing statement on all of this. All right. My closing statement, the ideal warm up for me involves a physical thing, which we'll go through in a different episode. So warming up the body, dynamic movements, then a swing specific warm up. So where I'm hitting shots, just gradually building up the speed, but not really looking at anything in particular. Then a pattern recognition phase where I'm looking at what what's happening in the big three what can I do to calibrate those and then finally I go into simulation mode and spend try I try and spend most of it in simulation mode if possible where I'm doing full routines changing clubs changing targets getting truly ready for the mindset of golf getting in and lining up and things like that after that I'll go and hit 15 to 20 minutes of short game shots mainly putting getting the speed for it and then maybe a few chips just to see how the ball's bouncing and checking and rolling so yeah that is my warm-up routine all right I think that's actually one of our shorter episodes I'm seeing about an hour 15 here what an accomplishment warm up. <laughs> All right, so let's wrap it up there. Adam, where can everyone find you? I've got a lot of stuff on warm-up and I've got a lot of stuff on interventions as well. So if you want to know about the technical things and how to make changes to your ball flight, Next Level Golf or any of my other programs is where you'll find it at adamyounggolf.com. And John, where can people find you? You can find me at practical-golf.com. And again, thanks for everyone's support their feedback their questions keep them coming and we will see you next time with a new episode thank you for listening to the sales samurai podcast with your host sam capra be sure you subscribe to our podcast and visit salessamurai.io and join the conversation access show notes and discover bonus content